remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during any question. You can't afford one a court appointment for you. You understand your rights? Your crime spree was over, son. Yeah, you thought you had it licked. But it man over time. Made you sugar turn to shit. <laughs> Warning. Each episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature. And are for people that are 18 years or older, heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show. These facts are. I'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And my co-host, Jim, the hitman, Raffman. What's up, Jim? What's going on, Woody? All right, man. Are you doing all right? Oh, yeah. I'm doing good. Good, good. Let's... Real good. All right, y'all. So, uh, real quick before we get to today's episode, the um, some lifers sent us some really great constructive criticism on not talking too much before the episode and putting our chatter at the end. Uh, so we're going to do that, and and we understand that, and we appreciate your your feedback. Um, so that being said, I do want to talk about one thing that's important to us before we begin uh, today. The they're going to be um, burying one of our own, uh, uh, a lifer and and a dear friend to us, Carly Ann McCord, who is one of the victims of the plane crash last week in Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, I first met Carly during the Courtney Coco investigation. She messaged me and uh, we talked on the phone the first time, Jim, it was like two hours. We talked to her. We're like old dear friends. And she was just, oh, I remember. she's just a, uh, was a force of life, but she, she went to Northwestern, uh, that's where she gra- graduated from, which is the same school Courtney went to, and she was only she was like three years behind Courtney, but she she's was in, in uh, into broadcast journalism. She had a radio career and TV career, and uh, at the in the end, she was you know the Saints and, and and a reporter in New Orleans, but she had done some work for ESPN, et cetera. But this. She's just a wonderful person, and she took us in. She gave us some great advice. She gave us some help on the Coco case, which was immeasurable. Um, 
she gave us some contacts in the business and she didn't have to do this. She did it just because she was a love and, uh, the, her and my wife became fast friends. They, they both teach kids in China, uh, uh, English over the internet. I mean, Carly Ann did it all right. And, and kind of like my wife does also, but that, that, and she about a month before she died, she even, it was my second oldest daughter's birthday and she got them courtside uh, at the, at a Pelicans game and, and you Orleans and took a picture with them, which that picture means a lot to me now. It's just, I mean, she didn't have to do all that, but I mean, she was just a friend to us. Uh, she promoted us uh, like, um, Chase Tyler band came to know of us through Carly Ann. I mean, she shared it with them and, and everybody and, She's just a force of life, man. Jim, did you know she was an, uh, a, a, a national power lifter in high school? I read that. I did Isn't not that know crazy? that. Crazy. But I read yeah. that. It's crazy. And, 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 and of course she was in beauty pageants and, and, um, uh, you know, saying and everything else, just a, just a force of life, man. And her mama, one, one of the times I talked to her, uh, she was in the car with her mom and her mom actually taught Ashley Posey from one of our episodes, uh, hit a lick, uh, the, the bad girl from that. And, and it's just a wonderful person of just 30 years old and so full of life and just a, a ball of energy and love. And, 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 uh, we're praying for, I pray for her husband and her, you know, her family, uh, and all her friends, she's touched so many lives. You see such an outpouring of of love for her from everywhere. So I'm going to pray for them. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, you know, I talked with Carly a few times there in the last, just being a few days before the, the plane crash. Uh, you know, it's just such a sad situation, you know, and she's such an angel and I know she's watching over all her family and her friends and she will be dearly missed. Um, just, she had that it factor, you know, everything she did, she did it well and she just blew everybody away with her sweet soul and incredible mind and beautiful smile. I mean, it was infectious. You couldn't look at her and not smile. Right. Um, you know, and I just, I, I I see your husband on the news and I just, man, the pain and the suffering he's going through and, yeah. You know, if there's anything we can ever do for her family or her friends, um, you know, we're, we're here. Um, one thing I will say is that there is the Carly Ann McCord Scholarship Foundation through the uh, Northwestern University. I believe if I have that right. That's right. Um, yeah. I think you can, you can search for that. It's, I know it's on Facebook. It's on the Internet. Um, if you can and you're in the position to go ahead and donate to her honor in that scholarship fund for her. Because she's such, she's touched so many lives. Yeah. And I just think it's fitting to be able to get a scholarship fund. And, um, but she'll be dearly missed. Real life, real crime will be contributing to that. Guarantee that. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we're here for all, all her loved ones. Um, rest in peace, Carly. You will be missed. You'll never be forgotten. That's right. We, and we love you, sweetie. So uh, tough, tough deal. Um, but just want to, you know, give Carly Ann a shout out and, uh, uh, she took us under her wing and, and she didn't have to, and, and quickly became family and we'll love and miss her. So 
With that being well, we're all under her wing now because yeah. now we're she's watching over all of us. That's right. I agree. So, all right, moving moving on. That um, today's episode was supposed to be a hotline episode, and but we want to kick it off maybe with a little uh, weird story uh, for our listeners, so you don't just have to listen to us answer questions. So we're gonna. Do a story titled "The Witches of the East Side," and it won't. After that, we're going to uh, take a couple hotline questions, and then. But y'all need to stay tuned to the very end because we have a huge announcement about something that's coming up for real life, real crime. So, let's get started. The Witches of the East Side. Um, in two thousand one, I was working as a deputy in the Uniform Patrol Division for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office on the night shift. And I was assigned to the east side of the parish. And uh, y'all have heard us talk about in past episodes how Livingston Parish is divided geographically east and west for law enforcement purposes. Now, the east side of the parish is more rural, uh, has a a couple small towns, and other than that, everything was spread out, by, especially back then. It's all grown up now, but back then it was really rural. And, and um, we had, at most, we would have three deputies assigned to the east side, but most nights it was just two of us. And um, explain about that, why, why that is. Well, on the west side where you have Denham Springs and Walker, it's just so much more. The population is just so much bigger. You have your apartment complexes, your massive neighborhoods, uh, developments. Um, you have shops or shopping centers, restaurants. It's just that city-like environment. So you had to have a lot more deputies to be able to respond to all those calls because the call volume was just so much more significant on the west side than it was on the east side. Right. So you didn't need as many on the east side, but when it was good on the east side, I promise you, it was really good. Yeah, and and the running joke was the the difference in in the in the people uh in the east and the west side. A lot of times on the east side, you know, country people, they just took care of their own business. Yeah, uh, but if they called you and said there was a 103G in progress, yeah, uh, you would get there. You better strap it on, you know, and because when you got there, there was going to be gunplay, and chances are there'd already be a body on the ground. Whereas on the west side, you know, it was so populated, and if someone called nine one one, it was a one hundred three G or disturbance with a gun. A lot of times, you'd get there, and there wouldn't even be a gun. It'd be two neighbors fighting over their garbage can or something like that, and one of them, you know, might say, "Oh, I'll get a gun," but it's it's just you know. I'm not saying it was rougher or whatever. It was just culturally, it was kind of different. Uh, Two different worlds. Yeah. So the on this night, uh, I tell you what it happened. You go ten eight at at six p.m. Of course, we always came out early to relieve the shift that was on duty. Uh, but at six p.m., that's your highest call volume time, and and you get everybody just getting home from work, and they have burglaries, and you know you have traffic accidents, and all this different stuff. So a lot of times, uh, say like between 6 and 11 when the call volume was so high, if the east side had a third deputy assigned, they would pull them to go work the west side 
And of course, the West Side had more deputies, but they would pull them, you know, because the 911 calls, you got to respond in as quickly as possible, right? Uh, but on this particular night, I remember it was really, really cold. First of all, it was this time of the year, it was real cold. And I had arrested somebody. It was probably like nine o'clock at night. I had arrested somebody and um, I was just getting to the jail in Livingston. And, and when you go into the jail, when you bring somebody in under arrest, you have to go through the back gate of, of the parish prison. They have to open the gate for you and you come in and they shut the gate behind you. And before you can make entry into the building, uh, you know, you secure your weapon in your unit or they have what they call a sally port or a man trap. You get to get the bad guy out. You get to the outer exterior door of the prison and they pop it open you go into this little cubicle, this little entryway, which is has glass walls, glass and cement walls, and they had a um, a gun cabinet there that you could store your pistol in if if you hadn't done it already. And then you you shake down or search your bad guy or girl again right there uh, to make sure they don't have any more contraband. In the control room for the prison, they can see you. That there's a hallway in between you and uh, and them and they can see you. And when you're ready, you wave at them and they buzz you into the interior of the prison. So you can't no two do two doors are open at one time. So no, no bad guy can run away and all that, all that good stuff. Go ahead. And, and one more thing about that too, when you go in there and you search them, they've already been searched once when you made the arrest, you're searching them again a second time That's right. in that area. That's right. And then you let them know because Hey, people hide stuff, right? That's and right. You know, most of the time we can find it all. Yeah. But sometimes they put things in, 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 in places within their body that they really shouldn't insert things. Right. And they do. And so you let them know, hey, listen, when we get past the second door here, if you have something on you now, now's the time to tell us. Because the second we go across the second door here, you have now brought something into a jail. That's right. And that's another charge. That's another charge. Um, inner, and, inner and contraband. And so that's how that works. Inner and contraband. So once they, go ahead. Exactly. It's entering contraband. So once they tell you no, you completed your search, you wave, they open up that door and you proceed. Right. So the, on this night, I'm in the, in in that sally port or man trap, whatever you want to call it. I did my secondary search of, of my bad guy. Uh, and, you know, Jim, one day we should really do an episode just on the stuff that they, they've found on people <laughs> that have brought <laughs> in inside the jail. But anyway, so I, I, once you do, do that, they buzz you into the hallway and you walk down this hallway and you take a right and then you take a left and there's the booking room and there's a bench and you handcuff your guy to the bench and there's a desk and you sit there and fill out all the paperwork before uh, and your probable call sheet and all that before you turn them over to the jail. Well, I, I got it, was cu- cuffing my bad guy to the bench and one of the dispatchers came running out of the control room and said, Woody, we got shots fired uh, and on the other side of Albany. And John T is the only one that's 10-8. And he's headed up. He was north of Albany at the time. Uh, um, they said, anyway, we need you to roll out. He's got no backup. And so I'm running, right? And, and I run out and I get my uh, crown Vic. And a buzz out. Uh, I take a left on Highway 63 because it's a straight shot to Highway 190. I mean, no turns uh, uh, through the town of Livingston. And 
the the interstate is is just there to your right. I could have got on the interstate and and really hauled ass. Uh, but when you get off for the Albany exit, it's like three miles of turns. If you take the interstate state, if you take 190, it's 10 miles from the town of Livingston to Albany straight shot, not a single turn on that highway. So I'm, I'm rolling. Right. Um, and they had 1033, the net for the, um, it, John T., I think John T was a unit three thirty one or something like that. But one one of the Albany Reserve officers or, or part time officers, uh, uh, Leon Winstead, who's a beast and and I love him to death. But he was a riverboat captain, and he would come out and work for Albany on his days off when he was home, not because he needed the money, but because he loved doing police work. So he had heard it uh, on his radio, and he came out. Uh, to back John T up because he knew John T didn't have any uh, backup other than me. And I was at least, you know, 10 minutes or so away. But so I'm rolling uh, down one nine, one ninety uh, in the fast. Yeah, go ahead. Let me just pause you one second. Cause you had mentioned, that. I don't know if they're going to know what you mean. Uh, 1033. When we say 1033, uh, basically what we're doing is that's for emergency traffic only. So for that officer, that the one who's out there um, at this location, when they 1033, then that, that's pretty much the only person that's supposed to talk on that radio channel. The reason being is that if he needs more assistance, if he needs an ambulance, if he needs whatever the case is, they need to be able to have that direct line of communication. If they are get- you code four, which means are you okay? Yeah. Unfortunately, in law enforcement world, whenever you're in the worst situations ever, some jackass is going to be going through a parking lot, see a vehicle that's been there for three days, and want to talk on it for two minutes about the license plate, the description, when you're in like the most critical situation you've got. Right. So to, to eliminate that, they 1030 through the net, which means that only that person is to talk on that channel. Everybody else goes to an alternate channel. Right. So just wanted you guys to understand what that means. Right. It says for emergency traffic only. And what happened was John T and, and Leon, uh, and again, I love Leon to death. He, he was scared of nothing. I ended up being best man at his wedding, but the, they were looking for the address, uh, the, uh, of this residence and they were in the area when they said, John T called it in and said two, five, nine, which is, the the code for dispatch two five nine we're in the area we're looking for the address give me the address again and ten thirty three the net by this time I, I probably was passing hold and I was probably halfway there and uh I, of course our, our units back then were Crown Vicks and the fast the fastest a Crown Vic would run is a hundred and twenty eight miles an hour and that's with a, a good tailwind. I, and I don't know why it is, you know, you think you see the police interceptor, uh, logos on them and all that shit. Well, 128 is as fast as it'll go. And I was doing 128, I promise you. And, but I hear them looking for the address, uh, the Nets 1033. I'm monitoring, I'm rolling code. And, um, then I hear them say, Oh, I think this is it. And, and then they go 1097, which means they they found the house and and I heard John C said two five nine we're ten ninety seven we're, we're going in and, and now remember they're responding to shots fired and uh, uh, a body was down so 
they go in, you don't hear anything from them. And I, I got in the area and I couldn't find the driveway. And then, then I heard them, uh, John T say two, five, nine, we got one in custody, send Acadian 1018, which means as fast as you can send medical. We got one on, one on the ground. And I, John T called to me, said, Woody, the, you know, when you take that, the last right before the parish line and go to the stop sign, take a left and then take immediate left on this, on the little dirt lane. He said, there's not even a mailbox or anything. So I, I did, I came sliding through there like Bo and Luke Duke sideways. And this driveway wasn't a driveway. It was like just big craters. It, was, uh, it wasn't, wasn't even a, a gravel driveway about i remember it because i almost ripped the bottom of my unit off <laughs> and, and hitting those holes and i could and but you go straight down you couldn't see the residence he said you could come down a ways and then you're gonna you're gonna make a left and you'll see our units and so i did and i, I remember when i made the left this is what i saw i saw three brand new jeep uh I think the model numbers like CJ sevens or Wranglers or whatever. Um, nice four wheel drive Jeeps, right? I mean, these, these are the big jacked up tires and all this. And, and uh, so I remember seeing the three Jeeps and then the Albany town unit and John T's unit. And, but they had the spotlights on this big double wide trailer and it had, it, it looked like it was a brand new trailer. And I mean, I don't know if they just moved back there or whatever, but uh, I mean, anyway, this is what I'm saying. So I get out and I go run it up uh, and I called, I said 259 1097 and I go running up and Leon's coming out of the door with a naked lady uh, with a blanket wrapped around her and she's in, she's in handcuffs and, and he was like, he's gagging and, uh, and he was just like, what are you, it's bad, man. It's bad. And I, I didn't know what really what he was talking about. He said, John T's in there with the victim. And, uh, he was kind of like gagging. And so I, it was a little wooden porch with a couple steps. And I, I ran up, I ran past him and I go in, he said there, and he, he hollers, there's no lights. So I had my flashlight out and I hit the door. I go into this hallway and the smell hits me like a ton of bricks. I'm talking about just caught me with my mouth open, gag me it smelled like shit uh uh feces animals just just all just the most god off smell and i'm like what the hell and i hear john t i can actually see his flashlight at the end of the hallway coming from a room to the right and i'm going in and it's just this, this stuff everywhere the house is dark and it's cold 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 and um i run down the hallway and i turn into the doorway where John T was. And I look and he's, he's, there's this lady, she's naked on the ground, laying in some blankets. And John T's got his hand giving first aid over uh, her chest. And he's, he's holding down on it. He said, she's been shot right above her, her nipple. And, but at the same time, y'all, this is happening in a matter of seconds. And, and the, I'm standing in this doorway and I hear this loud, Bam! And it was coming to a doorway that was inside the room. I don't know if it was a closet or I think it was a bathroom inside this bedroom. And the whole door frame shook and it scared the shit out of me. I'm draw, I'm 
drew my pistol like you know faster than I ever have and I'm like and it hit the door again bam and I almost shot shot the door at the same time you know shit you not something flies by my head going what 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 and 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 I mean just I hear these feathers and and these wings going right by my head and I, I almost shot it whatever it was I'm I'm like totally on sensory overload and then the door goes bam again and i'm like what the fuck's going on john t and the the victim's moaning and he said man you won't believe this uh leon and i almost shot each other when we got in here we made entry into the room he said there was a huge hog and in the in the room with with the women and he said there's animals all in houses chickens uh, are flying up and down the hallway and hell i didn't even know chickens really flew right and and he said when we got here the the victim was down the other the shooter was over her trying to help her and there's this big 300 pound hogs snorting and and going around the room the the shooter had to get the hog and lock it in the bathroom and he said, man, I can't breathe. He said, what do you, can you please come over here and, and take some of me? He said, I, I got to throw up. He said, I got to go, go outside. And that's how bad the smell was. So I ran over to where he was. Um, and he took the towel off or shirt. I don't remember what it was, whatever he, he was using to put the pressure on the wound. And when he took it off and gave it to me, it, she had a perfect bullet hole right above her left nipple. And uh, it, it wasn't, an artery that was hit, but it was pulling blood out. I don't know how to explain it, but what I really distinctly remember about it, Jim was the, uh, the, the, I actually had a little bit of tattooing on it also and tattooing y'all Jim explained that tattooing around the wound. I'm sorry. I missed that part. All right. So what I, what I, what I distinctly remember about it when I was looking at the wound, it wasn't squirting blood out, but it was like when her heart would pump, it was, uh, more blood would come out. But it wasn't it wasn't a shooter. But there was tattooing or stifling around the wound, so which meant that the gun was close to her. Go ahead, like a contact wound. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the uh, what happens, y'all, when when you shoot somebody up close, there there's gunpowder that comes out with the bullet from the end of the gun. And it actually will burn the skin or it gets in the gunpowder gets embedded in the skin and it's like a tattoo. It, it leaves the burn mark. And so I knew it was a contact wound. But what I really remember about it was when the blood's coming out, it was so cold in there that it the bullet hole was steaming like like uh old faithful the geyser. There was steam just shooting out of this this titty. In 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 the dark, and I'm looking at a flashlight. It's just a just a trip. The whole thing was right. So uh, anyway, I, I I put pressure to it, and I, and I'm asking her. I said, "What happened?" And she said, "She shot me. She shot me." And um, the I heard Acadian, uh, the ambulance service get there, and and to the dispatch called and said, Hey, Acadian can't find the residents. So John T went to the road and, and, uh, guided them in and the, the detectives came and, uh, we had to help Acadian get the girl loaded. And, uh, you know, again, animals are flying around. There were dogs in the house. Um, the, you couldn't see anything. We get her loaded up and 
the ambulance by that time the detective got there and the the naked lady the one that was under arrest she had the blanket around her and they were questioning her through the window of the car and she said that um that her and her lover were having sex with a pistol and the hog hit her and she accidentally the hog came into the room and hit her and she accidentally squeezed the trigger and shot her lover. And okay, that's one I never heard before. Uh, uh, and, but, but when they asked her about, uh, he asked her about the, the electricity and the animals or whatever, cause the detective had gone in and seen the scene and, and took photographs of, of uh, what had gone on. And the lady said, well, we're Wiccas or Wiccans, and at the time I didn't know Wiccans. what that. Yeah, at the time I didn't know what the mean. The detective said, "What do you mean?" And she said, well, we're, "We're witches, and we practice Wiccan." And and that that doesn't mean they were evil, y'all. That that's 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 actually a recognized religion, and it is witchcraft. But their motto is uh, "Do harm not." to none or whatever you do comes back to you, et cetera. And she said, I wouldn't ever hurt her. She said, I'm telling you it was an accident. Um, you know, the, we're witches and, and that, you know, we live with the earth and the animals. And, uh, I was thinking, yeah, you live fucking nasty is what you live. I mean, you couldn't even breathe in the place, but long story short that, uh, <laughs> the, you, some, Naturally, you would expect that that she got searched. Yeah, I guess a visual search because she was butt naked, other than the blanket they Leon had put around him before he brought her out, and they transported her to the jail, and we, we wrapped up the scene, uh, et cetera. And well, I, I still had my bad bad guy at the jail. I had to go book him, and so I went back to the jail. When I got there, and I started booking my guy, and the other girl was in there, and. Uh, and they had put her in a cell. The matron came out of the cell, and that's the lady that uh, the runs the front, searches the females, et cetera. And she she had a plastic bag, and she held it up, and she said, "Y'all need to do better searches when you bring your people in." I'm like, John T and I were there, and I'm like, I'm like "What are you talking about?" She said, "This this is what she had on her, and she had a big plastic Ziploc bag, and it looked like a big baby pacifier. Uh, uh, it was light blue." And, and it had like, you know, the, the, the bulb on one end and like the, what would be the mouth guard. And I'm like, what the hell is that? I said, where'd you get that from? And she said, out of her ass. She said, it's a butt plug. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, guess, uh, yeah, guess I missed that one. Yeah, uh, they, uh, <laughs> butterfly butt plug. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jim, the fact that, you know, the name of it is a butterfly disturbs me. <laughs> but the uh but you're correct it, it, the i mean i like to consider myself pretty knowledgeable when it comes to you know to stuff but yeah that, that is the first time i'd ever seen a butt plug much less a butterfly butt plug but anyway that uh just a trippy story y'all to start out 2020 that, and let you know that you I always say that law enforcement is the greatest show on earth. You never know what the hell you're going to see. And that, uh, 
the witches of the east side, you know. Uh, and by the way, that girl lived, and 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 the the they ended up dropping charges against the one who did the shooting. Uh, I know this because I went back out there years later as the detective. Somebody had broken in and stolen. I don't remember what it was, uh, uh, but the, when I went that time, they had electricity. And, uh, but the house still smelled like shit and was full of animals. I mean, I mean I'm talking about chickens, cats, dogs, uh, uh, the big hog. Dogs. Yeah. That, who in the hell has a hog in their house? I mean, I, I don't get it, but it takes all kinds. Yeah. yeah. It takes all kinds to make the world go around, but they had plenty of money. That's what tripped me out. It was a nice place and brand new vehicles and, and all that. But inside totally different story, but that's it. That's and, and, I, Go ahead. and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people listen to all this and like, dang, they sure find a lot of stuff in people's asses. <laughs> it's, it's true. I know. Like you don't understand. Like I'm thinking back on it right now, and I'm like, well, that person had pills in their ass. That person had crack in their ass. I know. Person, I, I know. I know. Like stop yeah. putting stuff up there, people. Yeah, I know, right? Not my, the place hey, you want to go and find my, stuff. Mine is exit only. Uh, 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 the uh, <laughs> the you're not gonna find. A, a butterfly, anything, uh, or crack pipe, or God, we ought to tell stories just about, yeah, yeah, like I said, stuff I, they found up in, inside people when we arrest them. But I could do stories for hours on stuff found on people. Period. Yeah, just, just, just doing searches, like, unreal. Yeah. So, y'all, it's real life, real crime. Um, you're not going to get this kind of content anywhere else. Uh, we, you know, we're unscripted and we're raw, unedited. And, um, we just wanted to put a little story out there before we get into some hotline questions. Uh, we know y'all, you know, we've had a lot of responses, uh, about how y'all like the stories and, and that we're different and, and we are, and, but we love and appreciate each and every one of you. Um, you know, just do love y'all. So Jim, let's do a couple hotline questions and, um, the, to add to the episode. And I think it's a good idea. Let me tell you about this real quick. The, I got contacted by uh, the wife of one of our dear friends. And I'm not gonna say her name yet because I want it to be a surprise when we do this. And the other night, and I hadn't talked to her in many years, uh, she messaged me and she said, Woody, I'm listening to the podcast. Somebody told me about it. And she said, oh, my God, don't you know the stories that I have that I can share with you? And it was about her husband. And her husband was one of her dear friends. Uh, he was actually the first guy that I rode with when I was doing my field training for Livingston Sheriff's Office when I transferred over and we became friends in uniform and then we were on the SRT together, et cetera. But he's, he's, he got killed and, um, it, you know, I hadn't thought about him, uh, in, in a, in a little bit of something, right. Until and I think about it every time I'm on the road that the cemetery's on and he got killed on, et cetera. But the, it gave me the idea and I told Jim about it. We, we have several really good friends, uh, that have, the law enforcement professionals that were killed or have died uh, since, you know, during our career time. And so, so many stories. And I think we're going to try to do at least one a month. Uh, Jim and I came up with this is 
telling stories about our fallen buddies. Um, and there's some great ones, y'all. I mean, she and I were going back and forth with stories and, and, and the other night, some that I had just forgotten about, you know. So we're going to be doing some of that to honor the, our fallen brothers. Um, I, th- I think it, you, you're going to find it, it's going to be interesting. It's necessary. It's interesting. There's some heroic actions that um, some of these officers have taken and need to be recognized. Right. And, and yeah, and certainly we'll tell you how they got killed. Uh, but, but more importantly, we'll help, we'll help their memory live on by, yeah, some of them are funny stories, just like the one we told today. Right. But all the way up to more serious stuff, et cetera. So we're, we're going to start doing that. Uh, we're also going to be starting a case with the cooperation of law enforcement. Uh, this case is, I don't know. It's, I think, I think it's, 12. I think it's about 12 years old. Yeah. 12 or 2009. It, it happened right after I left the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office uh, for the Louisiana State Police. And and I remember it happened, and it was a big uh, media because of the victim. Uh, uh, and we'll get into that at a later date. I don't want to give it away. But I, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm glad, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not there because they never found the lady. And end, but we'll get in that till later day. So we're going to start that story. It's going to be huge. We're going to need you lifers to help us solve it. It's a cold case with nobody, and, uh, um, and I truly believe we can solve it. And we're going to be working. That we got requested uh, numerous times by by lifers to do this case, and and I told them to contact the sheriff, and they did, and the sheriff reached out, and and they want to work with us on it, and they know about the success we've had in, uh, in the Courtney Coco case, even though they haven't made the arrest yet. We 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 certainly solved it in seven weeks. So, we, we had, um, so that's coming up in. Probably we'll start on in the next couple of weeks. I think we're meeting with them for the first time with the law enforcement this week. And we'll work on that. So y'all can look forward to that. And we need you your help bringing it home. It's going to be a good one. So, uh, all right, Jim, you got any, some questions? Perfectly fit. All right. So I'm going to start out with the first question here. This person wants to remain anonymous. So we will do that. Why are harassment cases so difficult to get something done about for instance, received 39, 39 calls from an individual in six hours. I reported it to the police, even though I blocked the number, keeps calling. The police with a direct quote, they don't want to help. Uh, even the police officer didn't want to take down the info because it was a direct quote here. Too much paperwork. Yeah. Okay. But she wouldn't file charges on her own, but why is it so difficult? Right. All right. Well, let's talk about that. The uh, First of all, that... There is a law against harassing uh, electronic communications, and it, it, the, the, it's Louisiana Revised Statute fourteen two eighty five. Uh, uh, harassing electronic te- it could electronic it, it's probably telephone communication. Well, it, it, it's it's telephone, but it, it, they change it to uh, also to any type of uh, electronic. Uh, communications because of emails and Facebook and all that shit now, but the, um, it's a misdemeanor. But the, the here's the deal on it. Again, 
in every profession, you have good and bad people, right? And uh, sounds like this person got somebody who really didn't want to be bothered, and and that's a shame. If I if I was working the street and you called me out to make a report about somebody that contacted you 34 times or however many times it was at the very least, first of all, I'm going to see the, the contacts. Are there threats in them? Are they, are they, they saying they're coming to kill you or rape you or do whatever? If they do, then I'm going to have you fill me out a statement, uh, and a sworn statement and sign it. And I'm going to use that as my probable cause, and I'm going to go arrest the person if I can find them so I can make sure that they're not going to come and kill you or, or you know, whatever. At the very least, I'm calling this person. I've done this numerous times. I'm calling this person saying, hey, this from that, I, I would use the victim's phone. And I'll call them, and the person would answer, and I would say, hey, this uh, Detective Overton or, or Deputy Overton with the, with the sheriff's office. And if, if you call this person back again, I'm coming to get you and you, you're going to be leaving with me, taking a ride with me and you'll be in handcuffs. All right. And most of the time that would take care of it. Uh, uh, and a lot of times it was just prank calling or, or, you know, they weren't making threats. Right. So, but it, you know, I would have done that at the very least. And, and but uh, if there weren't any, physical threats being made, et cetera, that I'm coming to do this, et cetera. I would have called them if I didn't, if they told me F you, and then they've done that before. I actually called them and said, this is deputy over and you've called 34 times. If you call again, I'm coming to get you. And it'd be like, fuck you pig, come and get me. And then guess what? We went and got them. And, uh, uh, so, but I, it's a case by case situation. It sounds like that this person got somebody who just didn't give a flip and didn't want to do another report. Um, and unfortunately that happens just like in the Jana Pell case, uh, uh, she went or she tried to file charges and she, I don't know who it was that she went, uh, I don't know who it was that she did the, tried to make the report with. And that person talked her out of the charges the week before she got killed. Um, and they just told us, oh, no, you don't want to do this. And, and it's going to get back to him. And, and, you know, it's going to be a, he said, she said, and the, the charges aren't going to stick and, and he could turn around and file charges on you. And she was like, file charges on me for what? And, but basically that cop was passing the buck. They didn't want to do their damn job. Um, so I don't know your thoughts, Jim. I, I agree with you. I used to call a lot of times from the person's phone and tell them to find out if you call again, I'm coming. Um, and I would, most, sometimes they would say fine, it would end it. Other times they would just keep doing it. I've been cursed out before, which now you gave me an added interest to come find you, which was always fun. Yeah. And I've, I always went through with my promises. So if I told you I was going to arrest you, if you did it again, and you cursed me out and then did it again, I was knocking in your door a short time later. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But it, it depends on what kind of officer or deputy you get on the call. Some of them take every call as serious as they should. I mean, I think every call is important. And one of the things I learned in the beginning of my law enforcement career from the great Willie Gray was that every call is important. That's right. And That's even right. if the call seems to be insignificant to other calls that are out there, you make sure that that person you're dealing with feels like that call that you're, you're on is it's the most, most important, important thing ever. You know, I and I could see Willie's telling me that right now in his office when I got hired. The same thing. Go ahead. Yep. 
And and I agree with that. And, yeah. and, and it's proven to be effective because you work for the people. You work for those, uh, you know, for those that live, reside in your parish or right. in your town or city. And, you know, they want to have, you want to have a good relationship with the public, give them your all and make them feel important, make them feel heard. And, um, you know, so going the extra step sometimes can really do a lot of good. And, and, and unfortunately, uh, you got one of those that just didn't want to put forth the extra effort, but it doesn't mean that all of them, all the officers are, are like that. Hey, um, let me say this too, that if you're out there and you call a deputy out or an officer out to make a report, and and you're not satisfied with the uh with with the results, you can always ask to speak to their supervisor. Okay, and and will that upset them? Probably, but guess what? The, the I mean, you have that right. If you're not satisfied, uh, ask to speak to their supervisor, and and if the supervisor tells you the same thing, then you know you could go. Hey, hey. Go ahead. Keep it within reason, though, and I say this before we move on from this question on to another one. Keep it within reason, and what I mean by that is I have literally had people ask me when I've gone to their house for a trash can from waste management being stolen or maybe at another neighbor's house, want me to take a cast molding of a blueprint. All right? (laughs) Now, think about that for a minute. The cast molding would cost and all the process would cost hundreds of dollars more than what the trash can is when all we do is give you a file number and they drop off a new trash can for you. <laughs> so just keep it within reason. Well, that? yeah, yeah. I should have said that. Uh, I'm thinking y'all, uh, uh <laughs> it just made a story popping in my mind and, and you're right. The, it, you should keep it in with, with, within reason. Uh, I'll tell you this when I guess I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm gonna say it. The I got called out on one. Uh, it was a, a residential burglary, and it was a daytime thing. But I, it, it actually it wasn't a burglary. I think the, the the person was saying their their prescription medicine had been stolen and it had just been filled. And but this person had done this like three times before. And so what happened is they get their new prescription in, and they either take it all or they sell it all. And the only way they could get the refill from the doctor again is to get a police report saying that their medicine had been stolen. And this, I literally had taken this report from this person before and they were an asshole. Uh, so go back out there. It's the same, same person, same situation. And, and, uh, she's like, she's like, they broke in and da, 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 da. There was no signs of force entry. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I mean, I know this. We could, you're a frequent flyer. You do this every other month. And um, she, and I said, you know, I had to write out a statement. I was taken. And she said, you're not going to even dust for fingerprints? I said, really? And she said, yeah. I said, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you know what? I'll dust for fingerprints. Now, y'all, back then, the fingerprint dust, this before they had the magnetic kind and all that. If you put that stuff out, it's almost impossible to get off. And um, so I went in with a brand new thing of fingerprint dust, and I dusted the whole inside of the apartment. I'm talking about I covered the walls. <laughs> I covered light switches. I covered the hallways. I mean, I painted until I literally ran out of fingerprint dust to teach her a lesson. And she was like, 
what, what are you doing? I said, you, you wanted fingerprints done and I, I'm going to give you your proper service. And, but she never called me back out, uh, to make another report about pills. <laughs> More than one way to skin a cat. That fingerprint dust, man, that stuff gets everywhere. It's That's like you horrible. Put it on the car outside, and like six uh, hours later, it's in the baby's diaper. You know, yes, indeed. Matter. It's like sand from the beach, right? Uh, but 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 you can't get it off. But anyway, I probably shouldn't have done that. But oh All right. well. All We're right. gonna move on to another question, Go ahead. buddy. Go ahead. Are right, you ready? Yeah. So this is from Charlene in Ireland. Says, Ireland. Thank you both. For an outstanding podcast and your passionate quest for justice. Her question is, what made or reinforced your decision to go into the field of law enforcement? Oh, from Ireland. Um, thanks for the question. The All I ever wanted to do was be a cop. And, and uh, I can't explain that. I mean, that's, that's all I ever wanted to do in the everybody else all my brothers and sisters are lawyers my parents are lawyers and my whole family are lawyers but i I didn't want to sit behind the same desk every day and 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 push paperwork right i i want the excitement of being a cop i've always wanted to be a cop and you know the criminal mind fascinated me and and that's it i mean i I mean of course i was really bad when i was young (laughs) and so but anyway i just i wanted to be a cop and uh that's it. And, and, and I, I love the lifestyle. I love the show, uh, meaning the show, meaning, uh, uh, you never knew what you were going to get from one minute to the next, you know, you might be out on a shooting one minute, you might be in a vehicle pursuit and 20 minutes later or whatever. So what about you, Jim? Yeah. So there's a few things. Um, one, I've always been the guy that that's driven by adrenaline. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm also that guy in sports that wants that ball to take that last shot or to get that last catch or whatever. That is me. I, I, I like that kind of stuff. Law enforcement provides that. Right. Every day, all day, right on, you know, just, just go. Like, I, I love that. But there are two things specifically that happened in my younger life that turned me to law, towards law enforcement. One, um, I have an older brother that I love dearly and he and I are super close and I was always so proud and honored to watch him play football. And he played it for LSU as well as a quarterback. And they played in Shreveport, Louisiana against Notre Dame in 1997. And I remember going out there with my father to watch that game. Hey, I, 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 uh, I went to that game. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it was cold. It's sleeted. Yeah. And we beat Notre Dame. So, you know, go Tigers. Um, but my dad and I decided to spend two days in Dallas after that. Um, and I walked through downtown Dallas where – uh, JFK was assassinated, so yep. Daily Plaza, yep. And yep. Blue Book Depository, and I walked all that stuff, and I was absolutely fascinated. And that that actually kind of drove for my future life in Secret Service, but that was kind of what started, what kickstarted everything in law enforcement, getting my brain going that way. The second thing was was about two months after that trip, uh, my father had moved into a new residence in Florida where we lived, and, and, and just north of Fort Lauderdale, right. and somebody tried to burglarize the house. And, um, you know, when, when I ended up just seeing where the screen was cut and I looked down to see where the reflection was coming and where the shoe prints could be and, right. you know, just doing all those things. And, and it, I was feeling inspired. Well, right. the officer that responded that day, uh, I just remember his last name was Burke, Officer Burke. And I'll never forget it. It's like Willie Graves used to say, you always make that person feel like it's the most important call you ever on. Right. 
And this guy literally made me feel like I was the most important person. My father was gone at work, and he literally just sat there with me explaining everything he was doing, why he was doing it. And then he promised me, look, when I come by and I'm patrolling through, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with my little spotlight on your window. That way you know that I'm coming through. Uh, awesome. And it was those little things right there. Like, he didn't have to do that, but he just took that extra step. And I'm going to tell you what, for a couple of days when he came by, he shined that little light right. when I hit the house and I knew he was around yeah. and it made me feel better. Yeah. And from that day on, I had all, I had law enforcement in my blood and I'm like, my God, I'm going to do this job. Awesome. And that's what did it for me. Yeah. Awesome. So the, uh, yeah, I always try to, you know, um, uh, go out of my way to leave a positive touch, you know, uh, or on the people. Uh, you know, on families and stuff like that, right? Not not the person on the, that I fingerprinted their whole house, but <laughs> but but the, you know, I get I get what you're saying. So, cool story. So here's here's a here's another question here from Melanie. It is uh, how were Denny Perkins and his wife Cynthia Perkins caught? Did a victim come forward? What initiated the investigation? And I'm gonna let you uh, handle that. Okay. All right. So, um, Melanie, is it? I, I yeah. was told that the attorney general's office and they do a lot of undercover work on on these uh, child sex predators and child porn, et cetera. And I told was told that during one of their investigations, where they act as. Uh, a person that wants to trade porn with other people during one of those investigations, it came to light that either somebody recognized Denny or Cynthia or whatever, or some part of it, it uh, and them as being a, a public figure, if you will. And that that's what kickstarted the investigation. Now, you know, I believe that's the truth. I, I don't know what the details are, if it was Denny screwing the dog or or whatever, or, or one of the cops recognized Denny. Now, you have to remember, you know, Denny had been in, in law enforcement a long time, and uh, a lot of times the uh, attorney general's office come out and serve high-risk search warrants and stuff on these child predators, and it would be Denny that would be leading the SRT team to do it. So I, I, I think it, it was probably one of the investigators saw Denny in, in one of the photos, and that's what kicked it off. Perfect. All right. All right. So here is another question from Melissa. She actually has two questions here. I'll start with the first one. If someone's incarcerated and they're being checked via GPS from a court order, if they go missing, how long does it take for the sheriff's office to know that the person is missing? Who monitors that information? All right. So there, there's different ones to this, but I'm a, since she said sheriff's office, I'll just address the sheriff's office in the court. The, the sheriff's office will not be monitoring that, that uh, ban. What happens is if a just judge places you on house arrest and they give, or, you know, uh, it may not be total house arrest. You may be allowed to leave to go to work or whatever, but if you have a certain time, you have to be back home. Uh, actually, the court uh, hires out independent companies that 
will come out and you, you have to, the bad guy has to pay the fee as part of their, their release. The, uh, they come out and they put the bracelet on you and the monitor it. And, uh, the, if you go, if you're not in the, the right location or whatever, they get an alert or if they call and you don't answer the phone, whatever it may be, they get an alert and, uh, you know, if you're a murderer or something, the, then, Certainly, they're they're going to kick it up a notch, but a lot of them are, are you know people that are on house arrest for nonviolent crimes like burglary or DWI or something like that. So generally, what will happen is the company will call that uh, the court's probation officer, and now uh, the court has somebody. The judge will assign that person, that bad guy, a probation officer to monitor their, their probation or whatever, monitor them to, to their trial or their hearing. And the, the company will notify that probation officer. And that's, that's up to them to decide, you know, they'll tell the judge and the judge will issue a warrant for their arrest and they'll go get them. Again, it's going to be on a case by case basis, depending on the severity of the charge and stuff like that. So. Now, if, Good answer. What if, 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 if they're on parole, that's a different monster. If they're on parole it, and uh, part of it, the parole is house arrest, then this actually the state of Louisiana Department of Corrections, the, a pro, uh, their parole, parole officer will be notified. And again, it's, it's up to their discretion as to when they go get them. Good answer, Woody. I like it. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. So here, I've gotten this question a few times. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just do this one time. Um, in the case of Denny Perkins and Cynthia Perkins, are are the how is the handling of the videos? Uh, be, how are the how are the videos being handled by the Attorney General's office and the Sheriff's office? Can any detective see it? Is it a complete free for all, or how is that being handled handled for evidence wise? That's that is an Excellent question, and it's very, very simple and straightforward answer, and most people don't realize this. Due to the fact that children are involved uh, and it's child porn, it's kept under lock and key. Nobody's going to get to see it except for the investigators and the defense attorneys. Now, here's what's different between the child case and an adult case. In an adult case, you have to, the uh, prosecution has to turn over all evidence, video, photographs, et cetera, to the, to the defense team. And they, you know, can take their time and, uh, hire experts and pick it apart and all that. And they'll have it in their possession. On a child porn case, they can't do that. These defense attorneys won't even have access to, the videos and stuff like that, unless they go to the attorney general's office and they watch it under lock and key. It's like, I mean, that's due to the sensitivity of the case and and the victims and all that. So, uh, they, they haven't even seen it or at least their last press conference when the one attorney was saying, Oh, they're treating Denny like an animal. He's locked up 24 hours a day. And, and, you know, Denny says this didn't happen. That didn't happen. Well, this, this asshole hadn't even seen the video yet uh, or videos, uh, et cetera. And, and he had, I mean, he just got hired and just got on the case. I can assure you Denny's other attorney that that wanted off the case probably 
made that trip to the attorney general's office and saw all the horrible shit and was like, fuck that. I'm not doing this. You know, uh, uh, and they couldn't agree upon his defense, but nobody can see it. Uh, once the case is over and, and it's been adjudicated, it, it'll be that those, you, you won't be able to get that evidence through a public information request. Uh, it will never be made public. So the longer the short of it is, no one gets to see it except for the defense attorneys. And when the defense attorneys get to see it, they don't even get copies of it. They have to watch it inside the building under the watchful eye of law enforcement. The end. Yeah. And, and, and have working, have worked cases before federally uh, and, and so on. When there is a case like this and you get local law enforcement to assist from whether they, and I don't know this for sure, but if they had anybody from Livingston Sheriff's Office working with the AG's office on this, if anyone from that sheriff's office is going to see that video, same rules apply. They're going to watch it with the attorney, general, attorney general's investigators. It's just like any other evidence. If someone comes in and needs to see that, defense attorney comes in to see that, it's law. They know yeah, who yeah. watched this video and yeah, when. That's right. And now it was placed back, put back, and whatever the case might be. But it is under lock and key. That is not getting out for the public. I can guarantee the attorney general's office does a hell of a job yeah. in making sure that these victims will never get identified. That's right. That's right. And, and, and that's and that's their goal. The sheriff's office does it very well. All the areas that I'm familiar with do it extremely well. Yeah. So it's not getting out there. Nobody can just go and watch it. No random deputy can go and watch it. If they sit there saying they saw it, they're full of shit. Right. So it is under complete lock and key. Yep. Yep. And uh, uh, that is correct. That's it. So the um, Jim, I think we'll we'll stop right there unless you you got a burning. I have a bunch. Uh, also, we're hitting the hour mark, and we have a few more things we want to talk about. Do you have one more you want to do, or? Yeah, let's let's do one more. Um, this was a good question. It just, you know, the question is from Cynthia, and the question is, everyone has mentors in their career. Who has been your biggest mentor or mentors? in your law enforcement careers. If you want to take uh, that one, one, one thousand, one million percent. Mine was Mr. Kearney Foster and y'all, uh, Kearney Foster was the chief deputy, uh, for not only when, well, I guess, uh, certainly when Willie was in office and then, uh, the but he was head of the detectives when Willie's daddy was in the office and and Willie was the chief deputy, but I I transferred into Livingston. And I'll tell that story one day. Why I wasn't from Livingston Parish, I didn't know anybody. Um, everybody was scared to death of Mister Kearney, and he was a hard ass, no doubt about it. But he was fair. But I mean, he knew so much, uh, especially about investigations and everything and, and also the politics side of it. But, uh, people were scared to death of him and I started in uniform patrol. And I, one of the advantages I had was I didn't know, uh, the politics of the parish. I didn't know, uh, uh you know, all the famous last names, the wheats and the Watts and the, whatever the, the who was politically connected and who wasn't i arrested indiscriminately <laughs> and, and, and 
the you know people would be, I can tell you so many times I'd be arresting somebody and hauling them out the door and they're like call call Mr. Kearney call Mr. Kearney and and hell they they by the time I got to the jail they were released the Kearney had called up and released them but it didn't matter or call Willie you know same situation but I arrested everybody indiscriminately I made the detective super super fast like. I don't want to say it was unheard of time, but it pretty much was. And, but, but not because I knew anybody there or a brother-in-law situation it was because of the cases I made on the street. Now, that being said, I got, I ended up on what we call the carpet a lot of times on Monday morning. And I, I mean, I would leave my, after we worked a long weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights, I would leave my phone on, uh, when I got home Monday morning, because I knew when Kearney got to the office, I was going to get it, you know, called in because somebody called a complaining on me about something because I was out there arresting more people than anybody else was uh, every night. This uh, natural people are going to complain, but he would call me on the carpet, and and if I was wrong, he'd, he'd eat my ass. I mean, he'd tear me up, and and but he'd teach me a lesson. He never had to call me back for the same thing twice, and but if I wasn't wrong, then. He would he would have the complainants in there and and he'd take care of that also. Uh, um, but I learned so much from the man. He was such the the ultimate professional, cool, uh, collected, and it's, and and I know he's the reason I made detectives so fast. And when I got into detectives, I really. Uh, all I wanted to work was narcotics and, but I opened and came up in general detectives first and he got me there. And once I started doing that, then, um, working the cases where I was putting what I call good, bad guys away when people that are still in prison today and, or, you know, getting, get, got my first life sentence on someone, uh, and realize that it's really as a death sentence because in the state of Louisiana, Life means life. I mean, they're going to die in prison. There's no parole, no chance of parole, et cetera. And so once I started working those kind of cases, that's all I wanted to do. But Mr. Kearney was always the one. I mean, he just taught me so much. I try to model myself after him. I mean, there's a lot of people that that taught me things. Like if, if you would be uniform patrol, I'd say Alden Thomasy or different people that I glean certain things that they did from. Uh, uh, it and and adapting them to my own Chuck Watts and different things, uh, Stan Carpenter, uh, it, but the ultimate one, Kearney Foster, and and I probably get, I'm going to catch some flack for that. I mean, after Kearney retired from from Livingston, when uh, Sheriff Edwards took over in Tangipahoa, they had a bit of a mess going on over there, and he brought Kearney on as chief to straighten it out. I mean, Kearney was that good. But he was good in all areas. And now there's a case we're going to be covering in the future. There's a big stink going on. And, and, you know, people saying some stuff about uh, Mr. Kearney and the DA and all that. And that's going to be a public deal that we'll be covering. But absolutely the best I ever saw ever in Kearney Foster for me. I'm sorry for running off so long, but I feel passionately about the man. Oh, he's also the one that got me to be a polygraph, uh, the first polygraphist for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. They've been trying to get one for like 20 years, they said, and and, and the sheriffs never would do it. And Mr. Kearney uh, got that pushed through for me. So I owe, owe him that also.
but that's it. Yeah, he he was he was definitely a legend. Yeah. Um, for me, there's a few people involved in this. You know, many don't know when I first started my law enforcement career, I actually was a very short time before coming to the sheriff's office. Started out in Baker. Um, and there's a few people out there that are just always going to be close to me. Um, you know, it's unfortunate we haven't talked as much over the years, but have really molded me in ways that actually saved my life at the sheriff's office in multiple occasions. But, um, a few of those is, uh, Shannon Hilaire, who, uh, currently works out there in Baton Rouge. Um, his son is actually the famous running back at LSU Clyde. Really? Um, and, and Shannon, I'm going to tell you, he was a Marine. He was always in shape, always taught me everything. It was like, it was like a father looking after a son, man. I'm going to tell you, like he, he was tough on me, but it was that tough love. Right. He's going to make sure if you're going to do this, you're going to do it right. Right. And, uh, my God, I love you, Shannon. Hopefully you hear this. Um, a couple of others that were out there, Jason shows, um, a show, show dog, show man. Uh, I mean, I, I love him, dude. He always made sure and made me think about what I was doing. Like after he would walk me through step by step, like, why did you do this? What made you think this? What did you think about this? And he really just taught me a shit ton about law enforcement and yeah. looking at scenes and just, man, just, he was awesome. And then another one um, is Jason Ransom. Uh, I think he, he was on a TV show one time. Jason handsome ransom is what they called him. <laughs> he was also Marine. And I'm going to tell you, he, made me an even better shooter, but he was all about tactics. And so he would make me think tactically right. about certain, and even though I had the military, he did too. And right. he made me better. So those three guys together, man, love you three. Cool. Think about you, pray for y'all all the darn time. And I'm going to be reaching out to all three of you. When I came over to the sheriff's office, um, you know, Mike Irwin, yeah, Mike's um, he, awesome. won. Yeah. he just was great. My Mike taught me how to, really how to drive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not that I didn't know how, but I'm going to tell you, Mike had a way about that day, how to take corners, how to yeah. really press it to get there, but right. to do it in the right way. Right. Um, there's a lot of things he did. He was a great supervisor. He was, yeah. But at the sheriff's office, I, I have to say that the, the number one person for me has always been you, Woody, because um, you took me under your wing from day one huh. when we became friends and we worked together. And, you know, like you always say, yank to the yang. And uh, yeah. I don't think there's a case out there we couldn't solve together. But you taught me what you've learned from Kearney, what you've learned over the years, yeah. and you molded me. And uh, that, and that, that still that. carries with me today. And, um, uh, well, you know, there's a few others that I love very, very much that, that have helped yeah. me out a lot. Calvin Bowden, yeah. um, you know, Jason Ard, Alden Thomason. Um, uh, I could go on and on and on, but right. in the detective division, I, I definitely will say that Woody really molded who I am. Well, so thank I, you, brother. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I guess like Kearney – uh, saw that he could mold me and, and saw something in me that I saw the same thing in you, uh, um, from the very first time that, uh, I, I met you or, or, or saw you when, when you became the hitman. <laughs> I said, that boy's got some style <laughs> when you knocked the shit out of RC. <laughs> that was, uh, our first initial, uh, foray into battle if you will but you may you you rose as a detective quick just like i did coming from the outside but you did it just like i did based off of your work ethic building cases that's it and uh but you know i appreciate you saying that it means a lot to me so but the y'all we have a a, um 
a lot more questions and stuff. And so maybe we'll, you know, every four or five weeks, we'll do a mini episode with hotline questions. We, we appreciate y'all's questions and patron members. If we didn't get to your questions today, I apologize. Um, but we love y'all and we appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate all of our listeners. If you can't be a patron, we totally get it. And, you know, just please continue to, to like us and share us and tell people about us. And, um, you know, it's just been amazing what y'all have done. Uh, we have some really big news. Uh, for what I want to talk about one thing first. Our new website, y'all, is up. And we, we met this guy uh, by chance literally he, he was a, he's a lifer and it seems like jim that we get hooked up with so many great people like toby tom play toby and shelly because they were fans shelly was a fan and then toby ended up doing our music right and uh yeah and, and, and it's the same thing clint with uh it's black sheep creative right that the clint in uh, his his business partner Alec from Black and it's B L A K Sheep Creative dot com all one word. Uh, the he reached out to us and he was like, "Hey, love the show. You know, um, look was looking at y'all's website. That's what they do: website design and all that." And man, they went in and did it, and it is something to see. Y'all got to go check it out: www.realliferealcrime.com. And it's it has Gemini's bios, and and it just has everything. Oh, there's a twenty four twenty four seven store open now with tons of merchandise in it. And it, when you order now, it, it's no longer be ordering and my wife gets the order and then we have to order it or, or get the order filled and then ship it out. This stuff's instant. Uh, and so all that's been streamlined. All the episodes are on there. Uh, what else, Jim? It's just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, Clint, you're fantastic, man. You and Alec have just done great, great work with this. Um, for those that need a website for your business, definitely reach out to them. They can get you all the analytics you want as well. Um, if you need to do search engine optimizations, pay-per-clicks, um, you, you know, you want to know what your demographics are, where your best, I mean, they can literally track everything that comes through. Who, you know, what's the median age range that, that's clicking on your website, household incomes. I mean, you name it, they can do it. Um, really did a stand-up job with that, and I appreciate both of you very much for doing it. And here's an added bonus, and I'm going to say thank you to both of them because they're both veterans. That's uh, right. Veteran That's 101st right. Airborne, um, the sniper, veteran. the other one was a medic. That's right. Um, so you're supporting a veteran-run business also. That's right. So if that's something that's big for you, that's another thing to look at. Thank you both very much. Done yep. a hell of a job. Yep. Looking forward to keep working with you guys. We, we actually have hired them uh, to run our website. Now, uh, we we before we we created the website and we were with some big national company if you had a problem you had to submit a ticket and all this stuff these guys are actually going to be running our website you we will never have an issue where we can't uh get them on the phone and and whatever but they they're going to be running it every day making sure things are going smooth but we really y'all it's just 
some really cool stuff on there. Go, go check it out. I mean, I, I had no idea, um, something could look so good and be so professional. So it's, it's totally redone, uh, black sheep creative, look them up. They're awesome and they rock. So, um, let's talk about the, the, and this will be the last thing y'all. And I hope you're still listening because you, um, you're going to miss out if you're not, Jim, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we, I get to this? No, no, no. Go right okay. ahead, buddy. I'm excited All right. to do this. All right. So last year on February 9th, 2019, I launched the first episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast in on February 9th. And um, so this year, our anniversary is coming up in just, just over a month. Uh, a month and a couple of days and on the we are also going to be passing a million downloads before our anniversary on February 9th and in February Mardi Gras if you're not from South Louisiana or you're not from Louisiana you don't know what it is it's, it's just a, it's a month long celebration before Lent begins so Mardi Gras is at the end of February um and we want to do something special. Uh, the 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 y'all know we have our live shows coming up at the Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center. We had two nights originally, and they sold out in twenty four hours. And um, so we added another night, and it sold out quick, also. And we've been getting a lot of uh, requests to do more live shows. People couldn't get tickets to those shows, or they couldn't get off, or whatever, et cetera. So we came up with the idea of throwing uh, uh, a birthday party for real life, real crime and the crew members and in the crew y'all, if you're not from South Louisiana, you're not uh, familiar with it, but K R E W E that's a play on It's a Mardi Gras term. Uh, it's a play on the regular word C R E W, but that's why we always use crew. So the, we, we're going to, throw the first annual real life, real crime crew bash on February 15th. It's a Saturday night at the basin on third street in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's going, Jim and I are going to do a live show, a live podcast. Uh, it's going to be on a murder case that you've never heard about before. Now that Friday night is Valentine's on the 14th, right? And, and so this is going to be a case that has something to do with that realm. And I'm not going to give it up, but we're going to do a live kick-ass show, uh, a podcast. Uh, the, the basin is an awesome venue. The, the, all, all the big bands play there and it's a, it's a big place and you know, it'll have open bar and all that. The tickets are going to be, uh, $35. We're going to put them on sale today. When you hear this, the tickets will be on sale on Eventbrite and the, the links will be on all our social media, et cetera. But not only are we going to do a live podcast, but we have Tom play, which is Toby and Shelly Tom play and their full band. I, I think they have like six members in the band are going to play a concert for, uh, and, right when we get done with the podcast. So it'll, it'll the, it'll go to, to they kick us out at 2 AM in the morning. It's going to be a hell of a party. 
We're going to, we're going to do our live. Uh, and then we'll get to hang out with y'all all night, drink, cut up, take pictures, you know, dance, do whatever, uh, have a Mardi Gras, good time, uh, celebrating our, our, our birthday, celebrating a million downloads, celebrating winning the 2019 podcast of the year for drama and storytelling. We got a lot to celebrate, a lot to be thankful for. And we're going to let laissez la bon temps rouler. We're going to let the good times roll for a Mardi Gras crew party. Jim. Yeah. Um, simply here it is for you. Woody and Jim doing a live show. The great music of Toby and Shelly Tom play party and atmosphere drinks, Fun, pictures, socializing, all of it. We're just going to throw it down. It's going to be a hell of a time, and we're going to do it for hours. Yeah. So come on out. Have some fun. We want to meet you. We want to interact with you. We want to hang with you. We want to do drinks with you. We'll do it all. So yeah. we're going to have a hell of a time. We got, it's going to make get, it a hell of a weekend. It's going to get crazy. I can tell you that. Uh, uh, yeah, we like to have fun. Uh, but y'all, you, you got to get your tickets while they last. We, there's not, there's only a certain amount of them. We're not going to be able to, um, get anybody else in, uh, you know, past the ticket number. And, and we've shown y'all in the past when we were sold out the three nights so fast. So those of you who didn't get it and those of you who did get the tickets, uh, the, this is going to be a totally different atmosphere for the live show because it's going to be alcohol is going to be served. Um, it's going to be a new case. It's not going to be the ones you hear uh, in, in January in, in Walker. Uh, it's, it's going to be an, an, more of an adult case. Uh, uh, it's going to be pretty graphic with some stuff in it, but the, so get your tickets, man, and, and come party with us. And it's going to be awesome. And we're going to do this every year on our anniversary. That's why we're calling it the first annual, uh, crew bash. So there it is. You heard it here first. Go look, go look it up. We're going to be doing video posts and everything. It, 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 the links will be on the social media. Um, what else, Jim? The it, It'll be advertised everywhere. Hey, come follow us on Real Life Real Crime on Instagram. Um, you can follow Real Life Real Crime or Jim underscore Rathman or Overton Woody. That's what we've got for Instagram. we got a YouTube channel that we're putting together. should be up and running here. Hopefully by mid-January, give or take. Right. Um, that's going to be really cool. We'll explain that a little bit later on. We have our Facebook page. We have that crew page, K-R-E-W-E. Come on to that. Um, it's, you just click on it. Um, it'll send an invite. You'll get accepted by one of our wonderful Dream Team moderators. Love the and Dream we team. talk all about crime stuff on there. Um, there's a lot of updates on there. It's a lot of fun. Woody and I. Enjoy this. We spend hours a day interacting with everybody, so I promise you we will interact with you um, at some point, sometimes, all the time. It just depends. But we will interact with everyone. Um, it's great. We also have a Lanyap page, so if you want to promote something you sell, your business, or throw some off-the-wall stuff on there, that's what the Lanyap page is for. Yeah. The crew page is going to specifically be crime-related. Um, but come on. Come on there. Join us on those pages to get all the updates. Um literally know everything that's going on and follow us on instagram it's going to be on there as well and we'll let you know when the youtube's out and come on over to that because that's going to be really interactive as well yeah and real quick the uh one new one to add is the bookham club uh that started by our dream team moderators they pick uh one book um at a time true crime book and and they, they read it 
and they give the, the, the members X amount of time to read it. And they actually uh, get on there and discuss it on that page. So that's pretty interesting. And I know they're getting ready to start the discussion on the first book. So y'all check them out also. So I guess that's it, my brother. Uh, um, I appreciate y'all listening. Hey, we love and appreciate each and every one of you. Tickets go on sale right now. If you're hearing this, I hope you I hope you hear it early. But tickets go on, on sale today. Um, and we love and appreciate each and every one of you. The thank you. God bless you. Uh, Jim. Hey. Again, we, we appreciate all of you. Look forward to seeing you guys at the live at the end of January and this awesome show that we're going to have it also in February. And uh, we'll see you then. Yeah, the February party is going to be a legendary. But anyway, we appreciate oh, yeah. We appreciate and and, and uh, love each and every one of you. Thank you. And until next time or ever, don't let us catch you down on murder. Bye. Peace. Peace. Hey, real life, real crime listeners. I'm Keith Sharon, the host of Crime Beat, produced by the Southern California News Group. We do a deep dive narrative podcast about a fascinating true crime case. Currently, we're in the middle of season two, which we call Mom versus Murderer. It's the story of a 20 year old honor student named Kathy Torres, who never came home after working a Saturday night shift in the photo department at Savon. In this podcast, We'll take you behind the scenes in Kathy's mother's two-plus-decade pursuit of justice. Season one of Crime Beat was about the biggest bank heist in the history of the United States. That case was the inspiration for the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, and Rachel Taylor. So check out Crime Beat if you really want to sink your teeth into a good story. Get ready, you're gonna do this